This week on episode 12, part two of The ATF Agent and the Iceman. I said, Rich, Dom, he goes, Rich, we go into the Dunkin' Donuts, and the ironic part about it is nobody's in Dunkin' Donuts. We go around the, the booth, and we, we sit at the counter, and we start talking. How you doing? Good. Nice day. Yeah, general. Talk. And then he goes, um, you do coke? I said, no, I don't do coke. He says, no, no, no. What can you get a kilo for? I said, I can get a keep about 30000 at the time. He says, I can get it for 28 I said, well, Rich. I said, if you can get it for 28 I'd go with your sauce. He goes, well, I don't know if I can trust the guy. I looked at him, what? I said, you're dealing with this guy? Well, I, I have. He goes, I said, well, you're a fucking idiot. I don't deal with people I don't trust. Well, wait a minute. You're sitting there in the Dunkin' Donuts, and you call Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, a fucking idiot? Yeah. I told him, you're a fucking idiot. Welcome. To Game of Crimes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Episode 12, Part 2 of The ATF Agent and the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. You know, you saw in the first part, Dominic just working across all the crime families, all the arrests he's made, all the experience he's getting is setting him up for this very big case to go after the Iceman. Now, in part two, you're going to hear a lot of great stuff about the investigation, the undercover work that Dominic did, and then obviously the end of the case. Now, in the meantime, hey, check us out at GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. Visit us on Instagram and Facebook at Game of Crimes Podcast. On Twitter, it's Game of Crimes. And also visit us at patreon.com slash game of crimes. We have some fabulous content. We have a full month now that we've been out. We've got bonus episodes of the real DEA narcos talking about the real DEA narcos. We've had some videos. We voted on Beverly Hills Cop. Murph and I reviewed that. So a lot of great stuff over at patreon.com slash game of crimes. So let's get back into this episode 12, part two. The ATF agent and the Iceman Richard Kuklinski as we bring this investigation to an end. So, hey, one last point we want to close off on before we start talking about uh, Kuklinski is... um, Back in the day, and actually this is before 9-11, ATF was actually part of Treasury. You know, and so because uh, you talked about the Secretary of Treasury, you talked about you know being part of Treasury, and I remember those days uh, working with guys. We we're doing nine twenty four C cases. You know, the felons in possession of firearms. Those were fun. Get some mope you don't like. Uh, do a case. Get make a quick five years and get some of your problem people. You know, out of there. Were you? When did you retire uh, out of ATF? I retired August thirty first, nineteen ninety eight. Okay. So you, you were there, you were still part of Treasury then because, uh, uh, yeah. okay. So yep. let's now, I mean, we've set the stage. I mean, <laughs> you were worrying, you said, hey, I think I'm going off script from, you know, toddling off somewhere. So no, this is a great shit, man. This is, this is what everybody wants to hear. It's, 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 when you talk to cops, first of all, first liar never stands a chance, but everybody hangs around the bars and has beers and talks because they want to hear the stories. And so this is like sitting at a bar with you at a conference and you're telling us your stories. And now one of the ones, obviously, a lot of people know about is the Iceman Kuklinski. So between the time that this operation in New York ended, uh, that you ran with all, all the guys getting arrested, and before you took on Kuklinski, how big of a time gap was that? 
Uh, I came over to New Jersey, I think it was 1980 then. Then 81, I was strike force. I was a strike force representative to the U.S. for the United States Attorney's Office in Newark. And yeah, and I was doing a couple of undercover operations. And then later on, I was approached regarding Richard Kuklinski. So probably about, what, five years at that time, maybe between when... Um... Yeah. Okay. How did it come about? Um, how did they approach you to work uh, Kuklinski? Well, when I worked at the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, my friend uh, Alan Greco, who became the chief of detectives, was in the homicide squad. And New Jersey State Police came. And they were looking at their investigations regarding individuals from uh, Bergen County that were missing. And a subject by the name of Richard Kuklinski that these people had met. And they really weren't getting anywhere with it. And they were thinking, listen, we have to get an experience on the cover in. So my friend calls me up. We grew up as kids. We're still friends, okay? So he calls me up. He says, Dom, he says, we want to know if you might be interested in working an undercover operation, and can you come to the office and meet with us and the state police? I said, okay. So I go, and in the office is, is Alan, uh, Eddie Denning, Pat Kane, and shows me a book that Pat Kane had, it was mostly handwritten. I think it was all handwritten. And information about a Richard Kuklinski from Dumont, New Jersey, that was meeting individuals and there was poison involved. And, you know, I'm saying, well, what kind of poison, you know? Well, it's alleged that he was using a spray with cyanide and uh, people would be dying or he put it on food. and. Uh, but we have all circumstantial evidence where these individuals met with him with some with large sums of money, and he disappears. The bad guys disappear after meeting Richie. With the money's never found, and some of the people were later found, but it was all arranged and meetings with Richard Kuklinski, and they had telephone tolls. Back then, when you used to get your telephone calls, it used to be written down what numbers you called on the old forms. And they had all that, but it doesn't mean that he spoke to Richard Kuklinski just because they have his number down. Could have spoke to anybody, you know. But the circumstantial evidence was that something's there, but who is he really talking to? Of course, you could think it's Kuklinski, okay? But you got to prove it. So they had all the circumstantial evidence, you know, from about 1980 to 86 or something like that, uh, where people were meeting with him and missing. And they were concerned that this guy, you know, is, is a walking killing machine and uh, we can't prove it. And they thought if I could move in and possibly work the undercover, but the most important thing is the federal people have to decline because I'm, I'm a federal agent and there's guns involved, but any 
firearms or anything that I get has to be turned over, even if it's a federal crime. They wanted it declined from the uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that it would, they want him charged state because they want him for the five murders. So what I had to do was write a report up. I sent it to my headquarters, and they called me right away because when they read it, they said, is this for real? Because it shows a lot of people he met, and it, there's this poison, and they're talking about pure cyanide. And they said, you sure you want to do this? They said, they're saying there's possibly no antidote, you know, if, on the site if this is used. And I said, yeah, I want to do it. So they gave it a special monitor number. I had a, They had to get a hold of the United States Attorney's Office, Faith Hotchberg, who's a federal judge, and explain that, listen, any case that we work on the Kuklinski case, that it has to be declined federally, even if there's federal criteria, and they want him charged for the murders, which she agreed, and then Washington, my headquarters, agreed. So, and then it was worked out through the Attorney General, it was acting Attorney General, um, uh, he was from Oakland, New Jersey. Good guy. Mm, his name escapes me. And uh, that's how it started. Once they declined it, then I was going to hang out at the store, which is located in, on uh, Patterson, New Jersey. You know, and, and for the listeners, I mean, this sounds like you're, you're really synopsizing this and it happened quickly. No, it, none of this shit happens quickly like that because you got big egos in the U.S. Attorney's Office and ATF headquarters. It's the same way at DEA. They want credit for the work that you do. So what you have done here is actually monumental, getting the U.S. Attorney's Office and your headquarters to turn down federal prosecution of this guy. That's a big deal. Well, we had to, but believe me, when you read the report, it's murders. Okay? It's, it's involving homicides. Okay, there's guns there, uh, and you're talking about poisons. So they agreed. I mean, it took a while, you know, and finally uh, they wanted me to hang out at the store in Patterson, and I agreed. And they had an individual in there that he would just cooperate and say when I walked in, hey, welcome home. Just, just. Just kind don't of vetting you. Don't have to vouch you. for me. Yeah. Don't have to, because he was deathly afraid. Didn't want to do it. And even they wanted to help out his son that was charged with murder. So there was a lot involved with this. But they agreed. So the first time I go into the store, I pull up in my Lincoln. I hang out, and all these guys are hanging outside, just like good fellas outside, you know, <laughs> bouncing around out there. Because next door to the store was a old time uh, luncheonette with the old rolled out seats and stuff, you know. And then in the middle, they had an apartment upstairs where there were a couple of prostitutes. So I start. I walked in. Well, I can. Just visualize this like it was yesterday. I get out of my car and I walk in. They're all looking at me and comes Philly out and he goes, hey, welcome back. I said, thanks. And that was basically it. He didn't have to say shit. So it was up to me. I went and get some coffee, bullshit, hang out a little bit, hang out at the store. Then a couple of guys were talking to me. Hey, how you doing? You know, they're checking me out. 
So I stayed there, I don't know, 40 minutes or whatever. And uh, then I left. Hey, quick and question. Doing- um, the first time you got a hold of the name Kuklinski, obviously you guys would check it through your own database. I, I, can't, I can't remember, was that called text or something at that time? You had your yeah. own? Yeah. That's yeah. Um, did did you have any hits on him? Was he uh, was he in your system anywhere? I believe there was an allegation regarding guns. Okay, but that was nothing. Nothing along concrete. the lines of what you'd already gotten from Bergen County and right. the state police. Right. So this yeah. is a cooperative investigation between the Bergen County prosecutors, um, New Jersey State Police, and ATF. Were there any other agencies involved? Oh no, the Attorney General's office uh, was calling the shots. Okay, down. AG's office in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They okay, were criminal justice system. Uh, on the uh, Carrie Edwards was the acting governor. Okay. Bobby Carroll, okay, was the chief deputy attorney general on this case. Okay. Okay, and I worked with him when he was a prosecutor in Essex County. I worked undercover for a lot of these guys, so they knew me. So, But but there had to be some pushback initially, though, too, right? Because like you were saying, um, uh, this is kind of like the home court. People want to say, hey, we can do this ourselves. Did you get some pushback from... Um, the state police or anybody else to say, hey, look, we can run our own guy in there. We don't need this mutt from ATF. No, they were reaching out. And matter of fact, when Pat Kane told me that they mentioned to Pagano that they were going to bring me in as an undercover, and there was no problems. I'm going to tell you why there was no problem. Because nobody thought that this would be pulled off. They didn't think you could do it. Okay. Nobody thought this would be pulled off. If you go back and you look at this whole damn investigation, okay. If I was a boss and you came to me with all this information, I'd get some task force working this thing immediately. Not one detective going bouncing here and going there and checking this out. It was like, what the hell? Because I went with Pat one time to see one of his superiors, a sergeant or something. Hey, how you doing? Good. We sat down at his desk. Hi, Dom's going to be working undercover. Pat tells his boy, blah, blah, blah. Good luck, kid. You know, I'll see you. What the fuck? Good luck, kid. Okay. You know, this is me thinking about my head. Okay. Good luck. You know, let us know what's going on. I said, Pat, don't. That's it. There's no reports. Everything was written on a book, you know? So anyway, do what you got to do. And uh, I started hanging out at the store. And, uh, you know, they were offering me, God, after a while, they were feeling comfortable with me. It, uh, one of the characters offered me counterfeit currency right off the bat. That's not, I'm not interested. Hey, describe people, describe to people a little bit more in detail. You say the store, but it, I mean, is this thing like, it's just like a freaking criminal flea market, isn't it? I mean, everything under the sun is kind of there? No, no. It's a, uh, let's say an old candy store. You ever go into an old candy store? Yeah. Okay, with the old wooden floors. Okay, it's not a big building, but it carries enough of items. And what they did, they were so smart in this thing. Let's say they put up cans of coffee. All right, let's say they go, you know, let's say the coffee went for $5 a can or something, okay? They put two up there. All this stuff is stolen, you got to (laughs) remember. So... They have these little items up there. So when if you came in and you did a search warrant and arrest, what are you going to charge them with a misdemeanor? That's all that's there. Just this little shit, little tidbits. The main booty was placed somewhere else, okay, that you don't, you're not privy to. So when you wanted something, how much could you give me if I 
by several cases of that coffee. Well, it's $5 we put a sign up here, but I'll tell you what, give me $2 a can. You're going to say, holy shit, $2 a can. I can sell them for 5 I'm making $3 on each can. Man, okay. And they had it somewhere else. So if you wanted that, so you put $700 down here, you meet them somewhere else, and you pick up your coffee. And, and none of that stuff happens at the store, right? Maybe the deal's made at the store, but nothing you pick up the product, at- everything else is picked up somewhere else. Yeah. No, nothing's at the store. You don't... No. The only thing... I see at the stores just a couple of items that they have somewhere else. And when they did stolen properties, uh, they would hit exclusive homes in Bergen County, Saddle River and Upper Saddle River. They had, they bring the jewelry there and they tested the gold. They test it right there. They take the booty and they'd head into New York and then get rid of it. So they were really, really well organized. These people, they had uh, poker joker machines and then a little back room back there. It wasn't a huge place, remember. And then next door at the at the luncheonette, uh, I'd get coffee and I'd play the numbers once in a while over there. They had the numbers and then, you know, the broads were upstairs. But that kind of makes your point, though, is that when a lot of this is going on, a lot of the made people and other stuff, the last thing they wanted was any publicity. They wanted to keep things low key, under the radar. Nobody wanted to. John Gotti actually kind of did him a disservice walking around in his dapper suits. That's what they called him, the dapper Don, getting all this attention on him, right? Everybody else just wanted to, you know, hey, just keep. Nobody wanted to be in the papers, right? Yeah, it was low key. Listen, in the town. You had to know what was fucking going on. I mean, I happened to go there on a Sunday. Day. I'm just going to get a cup of coffee. You know, this place was open seven days a week. You know, people bouncing around and doing things, hanging out, see what's going on. What's, you know, what's new with the booty that was stolen, you know, hijack loads and all that. So what happened was I pull in and I'm having some coffee <laughs> and they just hijacked Chanzano Umbrellas. What are Chenzano umbrellas? I know this is going to be like a, what, what was the figurines I did? The you know, bumble? the big, you know, the big Italian umbrellas that you see that you put on the table for shade yeah. and it says Chenzano on it. Yeah. It's, it, with the sign. Yeah. Those type of umbrellas. It looks like a beach umbrella, but a big one. Yeah. That goes in, uh, goes in that round circle on a table yep. that you put in. So <laughs> it was funny at the time because I'm looking and you'd see cars lined up, some police cars, some regular cars. They were just throwing the umbrellas in the car, in the car and the, they were taking off. You know, and I'm laughing my ass off. So, you know, it was just one of those places. So they're, they're dealing in, I mean, they'll steal anything, right? Yeah. Let me tell you something. They, they, were, they would steal hijack loads of coffee, sweat, suits, um, uh, great uh, sauce. Tomatoes or buck, you know. I mean, all this is worth money. C- cigarettes, okay? Hijack loads of cigarettes and all that. I mean, this is, you know, they, they were... Wide open. But they were petty in certain ways, um, you know, but the crew that hung there was really bad. Uh, they had a guy named John DeGilio also, uh, who winds up getting killed later on, hung out there. Uh, he was... Lending money for the VIG and stuff. Uh, they had some crews there, man, I tell you. And uh, they would tell me, uh, you know, what's going on. Uh, they had a brown van they showed me that 
they'd go check out the expensive homes in Bergen County. And uh, they knew exactly when you left. And uh, they would hit those homes in a minute, take that booty and off to New York and out of sight, out of mind, you know. And uh, people got to know me and all that. And I'm pulling in my, I had a Lincoln uh, Mark IV. It was a badass car. <laughs> they call it the shark. You know, it was wild. Uh, beauty. And uh, and then uh, you know, my leather jacket. And I had my 380 pistol, you know, with me uh, that I carried. And bad guys carry. So I, a couple of times, you know, doing things and going in there. And Kuklinski would stay away from the store because it was getting hot. People were, were, were he was worried that since people were meeting, he met people at that store. Then people started meeting with him and then disappearing. And he was worried that, you know, he was going to be, targeted and and didn't want that didn't want that at all well hey talk about that for a sec because you 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 talked when we talked earlier you said you were you not getting frustrated with this lenny i mean this is supposed to be kuklinski's friend that says hey i gotcha i can introduce you to this guy how long did this guy jerk you around before you actually got the intro it wasn't him oh it wasn't no philly did when i first came to the store he said hey welcome home Meaning I was in the joint, I told you at the beginning. That's all I, we, they've asked him. It was up to me to portray, portray myself as a fucking bad guy. And what I did was, at the store, started hanging out, started buying people coffee, and started people feeling comfortable with me. And the only thing that would happen down the road was where the telephone call comes in. Richie who they used as the big guy, he wasn't hanging out. He was staying away. He was staying away from the area. He thought it was too hot. But once he started killing his sources, and uh, uh, I think it's, um, which one is that, Mazgay? For yeah. The, uh, for the, um, I'm just trying to think. Masquerade for the uh, pharmacist. No, that was Hoffman. Paul Hoffman. Paul Hoffman was the pharmacist that supplied him with the pure cyanide. Okay? And he winds up murdering Hoffman. Because Hoffman kind of threatened him a little bit, says, I know where your kids are. He wanted Kuklinski to kill his wife and kids, and he was going to kill Kuklinski's wife and kids so they wouldn't know what's going was on. Was Hoffman the Mr. Freezy or Mr. Tasty's Freezer Mr. guy? Mr. Softy. Mr. Softy. And you know what? Pissed me off in the movie. The guy that plays Mr. Freezy in the movie is the guy that ends up being fucking Captain America. You know, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> Captain America is a stone cold killer, man. Cyanide. Yeah, I had, um, yeah. What had happened is with, with this whole investigation, they had like George Maliban who disappears, okay, uh, he's found in a barrel, stuffed. Masgate disappears. Uh, Gary Smith is murdered by Kuklinski and Deppner at the York Motel. Smith's body was discovered in a room 31. Uh, that at was the, after uh, a few days. He kind of smelled. Yeah, he he kind of decomposed. Daniel Deppner was found murdered in West Milford. 
and um, Mazgate's body found barely discomposed. He was frozen for two years. And, um, and and tell people about that too, because there's a there's a misconception about where the name the Iceman comes up. They think they think it's because Richie was cold blooded, had you know uh, you know uh, you know cold water running through his veins, but that wasn't it. No, he got the name the Iceman because he froze a body for two years, and then on a tape he told me he made the cops look like jerks. I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, they found the body." He says that. Uh, they thought was only dead for about a week or two weeks, he goes, uh, but he was dead for two years. He froze the body for two years. The guy didn't decompose. Had exactly the same clothes on that he disappeared two years ago on that the, that they found. And his mistake was he he dumped the body, I think, in either August or September. When they did the autopsy, they find ice crystals in the tissues. So what the hell is this? And then they put two and two together that Hoffman was the last person to meet Kuklinski and disappeared for two years. And when they find him, he, you know, he, was, he looked like, uh, you know, he's only dead for a couple of weeks. And he, you know, I mean, he decomposed, but not like... Yeah, he hadn't thought out sufficiently, and that's why there were right. still ice crystals in the body. Yeah, and uh, they put two and two together, and he was telling me how he did this. Well, so, let's, yeah, let's save that for a second to get into it, because there's, there's, tell us between the time that you show up to the store the first time, and you talk about the phone call. The phone call is what sets everything in motion. How long between the first time you show up to the store and that phone call comes in? Well, just prior to that, I'm at the store, and I get permission. I said, listen, uh, just to set the record straight, and I got approval with this, I said, I want approval to bring in 10 blocks of plastic explosives from the military, C4 explosives and caps, and I want 10 high standard 22 caliber silencers. No manufacturer, no serial numbers. Headquarters got these. They bring it to me. If you On the blocks, on the C4, it's got the wrapping of the military wrapping, the lot and block number, okay? And the high standard 22 caliber silencers. So I have them in an attache case. I go to the uh, store and I have the attache case and I'm just carrying it with me. And they're going, Tom, what's that? That's for people in New York. So I said, Come on, let's go get some coffee. We come back and I still got that attache case. They know because I'm carrying the damn thing. I won't let it go. You're you know? teasing them. So they're going, What the fuck? Come on, what do you got in there? I said, it's for some people in New York. He says, well, just show us. Let's go in the back room. Walk in the back room. I flipped the fucking suitcase open. There's 10 blocks of plastic stolen explosives with the block and lot number from the military, right? And 10 high standard 22 caliber silences, no manufacturer, no serial number. Holy shit. Listen. I can use a few of these blocks. I said, you know how to use this plastic? He says, no, no. I said, listen, you fucking light <laughs> one of these blocks up and put this fucking store across the George Washington Bridge. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> so they, what about the silences? He says, listen, Dom, I can use a couple. He says, how many can you get? I said, 
listen, I'm not supplying anybody with these. I said, if you want one or two, I said, I can get them. I said, but these are from people that got to do business in New York. Okay. I close them. So they got a teaser that. I hung out a little bit more. I get in the car and I go. I knew this was fucking, would start, you know, them thinking. Start talking. Hey, when you said for, for New York, were they thinking it was for a family in New York or did, was there a hint that it might have been for something else? No, for fa- they would assume that it's for some wise guys in New York. Yeah. Because they think I'm hooked up. I'm using Provenzano. I got good people in New York. You know, they all think, uh, you know, some people think, oh, man, I know your brother. I'm not going to say a fucking word. <laughs> okay. You know, so they didn't say nothing. So, you know, that, that lit the fire. But you got to remember, after 18 months, September, I go into the store. So September, October, November, December. Okay. It's four months. So what you're saying, it took, how long did it, how long was it you said between the first time you went to the store and this operation started till that phone call? It took about 18 months, I think. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, were you not getting frustrated by that point? It's no. like, I had other, no, because on my way to work, I'm stopping there, bouncing and go. I, I was working in Patterson with a, with a, uh, black organized crime figure, uh, Maurice Johnson was doing a lot of stolen property. And I hung out and was buying guns at another place there. But I never got arrested, so everything was good. You know, and they took these guys down, and nothing came back. So you had other operations going on during this time. You were just doing this. You were just maintaining contact, wait until the break. Yeah, that's it. Stop here and there. Tom, where you been? It's uh, bouncing around, you know? That's all. My plates and everything came back to uh, a high-rise at the... um, Fort Lee. Um, it's got like 10,000 units. I mean, <laughs> and they're saying, Don, wait, I said, yeah, I'm in Fort Lee. I said, I'm at my Gamada's house. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, they don't, what are you asking so many fucking questions? You tell them, you know? You got to so, challenge them. Yeah. And um, so uh, September, I stopped there for coffee. Now, I just stopped there. I'm not even wired. I just stopped there. Because nothing was happening. I was just, you know, talking to the guys and bullshit and the phone ring. And he goes, picks it up. He goes, Tom, it's the big guy. He wants to know if you can uh, meet him in a half hour. I said, where? He said, the Dunkin' Donuts, which is on the next block. I said, tell him I'll be there. It's okay. Hangs up. That was it. I hang out a little bit there. I get in my car. I go around the corner. And I drive it to the Dunkin' Donuts. I pull in. I knew he drove a Camaro, and he pulls in head on to me. He drove this blue Camaro. Now I'm watching him get out, and he was growing like the Jolly Green Giant. He's a big, massive man. I said, holy shit. I did a lot of stuff in my time, and I'm saying, just chill, just chill. You know? And he gets out of the car. When you say he's big, like he's bi- big, how big? Like six, 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 seven, something like no, that. He's, I'd say six, four and a half, six, five, about, I, two seventy, big, broad, massive guy with these orange tinged glasses, like he was reaching out, grabbing my fucking soul and say, "I fucking own you," like you listen to me, you know. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm looking, look at this motherfucker, you know. <laughs> So I said, man, 
So we both get out of the car. We shake hands. I said, Rich, Tom, he goes, Rich, we go into the Dunkin' Donuts. And the ironic part about it is nobody's in Dunkin' Donuts. We go around the, the booth and we, we sit at the counter and we start talking. How you doing? Good. Nice day. Yeah, general. Talk. And then he goes, um, you do coke? I said, no, I don't do coke. He says, no, no, no. What can you get a kilo for? I said, I can get a keep about 30000 at the time. He says, I can get it for twenty eight. I said, well, Rich. I said, if you can get it for twenty eight, I'd go with your sauce. He goes, well, I don't know if I can trust the guy. I looked at him, what? I said, you're dealing with this guy? Well, I, I have. He goes, I said, well, you're a fucking idiot. I don't deal with people I don't trust. Well, wait a minute. You're sitting there in the Dunkin' Donuts and you call Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, a fucking idiot? Yeah. I told him, you're a fucking idiot. He looks at Who's me like this. Who's the fucking idiot? Here's a guy 6'5", 270. You said he just looked into your soul. Yeah. Didn't you no, think about it, a different thing like, oh, sir, excuse me? I'll tell you, he was, and I said, and he turned around and he looked at me with these glasses. Like I told you, he was reaching out. He said, Who the fuck are you talking to? I, I can just think what he's looking, what he's thinking. And he looks at me with these glasses and he goes, you're right. I said, you bet your ass I'm right. I said, I don't deal with people I don't trust. At that moment, don't ask me. I just said, I got this motherfucker. I said, you know, I just feel, I said, I got this guy. He goes, um, then all of a sudden he goes, uh, I hear you got contacts. I said, yeah. Then he goes, can you get, not cyanide, can you get pure cyanide? I almost fell off the fucking chair. <laughs> I said... That's not something you hear every day, right? Right. I said, I said, yeah, I can get that. I said, I'll tell you what, though. One hand washes the other. He says, what's that? I said, I'm into the steel business. Bang, bang. He goes, okay. I said, you show good faith to me, I show good faith to you. I said, I have no problem getting the pure cyanide. He says, okay. I said, I want it nice and quiet. He knew what I mean. He meant the silencer with a, a you know, onto a firearm. Uh, and we make arrangements. We walk outside. He gives me his phone number. When I saw that phone number, that phone number is the same number he gave all his people that disappeared. That's the number he used at his house. He had two lines. I give him my pager number. I had a pager. And he says, okay. He says, let's stay in touch. I said, yep. He leaves. I just traveling, going down one ways, backing up, you know, just make sure I'm not followed. I go to a payphone and I make a call and I said, listen, I just met Kuklinski. It must have been like 1130, quarter to 12. Well, let me tell you something. At three o'clock, this is unfucking believable. There's a meeting with all the suits at 3 o'clock at a location in Fairfield, on Bloomfield Avenue. Be there. Well, all the fucking suits and everybody, let me tell you, man, everybody was fucking coming. I said, what the fuck? Well, when I walk, when I pulled in at 3 o'clock, let me tell you something. You should have seen these people. They were fucking all over the fucking place. Suits, uh, brass, you know, all this shit. So Bobby Carroll goes, Tommy says, we're going to have the meeting in the conference room, blah, blah, blah. As I walk in, 
This individual grabs, puts his arm around me. He says, come with me. I look at him. He takes me in the room. He closes the door. And uh, all my kids. He goes, um, sit down a minute. Sit down. And he, like, grabs a chair and he pulls it right next to me. And he goes, listen, kid, this is what you're going to do. I'm looking at him. He goes, you're bowing out of this case. You're going to introduce one of my people. I said, what? He says, do you hear what I said? You're bowing out of this case, and you're going to introduce one of my people. I said, you can't do that. It took 18 months to meet this guy. You just can't introduce somebody, and then I introduce somebody else and, and just bow out of the case. I said, it ain't going to fly. He goes, are you hearing what I said? I said, Go fuck yourself. I got up and I opened the door. He was he was red as a beat, red as a beat. As I opened the door, Bobby Cow passed by. I said, what, what's going on? I said, ask him. And then I told Bobby what had happened. He goes, keep a clear head, Dom. I said, I am, but did, do you believe this? You know, where the fuck were they all 18 months? You know? Anyway, we sit down and they... Everybody's sitting down, and then they said, Don met Kuklinski today, and we want to get this task force started immediately. So, Don, tell us what took place today. I get up. I'm talking. My fucking pager goes off. It's Kuklinski. So I said, I look at a Bobby, somebody, who's that? And I said, Kuklinski. Well, the individual that took me into the room goes, get a recorder, record it now. So I'm not recording anything. I said, let me tell you something. People tried to work with this guy, and when he says jump, he tells you when to come down. Fuck him. He has something that I have that he needs. He, he needed the pure cyanide, but he's got to show good faith to me by selling me illegal firearms. If somebody fucking dies, you're going to pay the piper. I said, I'm listening to this guy yell at me. And I said, under your watch, already fucking five people are dead. And you're fucking yelling at me. We're not doing it that way. This is the way I'm going to do it. He's going to produce something for me. And then he's going to wait for the pure cyanide. You should have fucking finally. I said, and that's the way it should be done. They got up and they agreed to do it my way. Okay, where finally I met them. Well, let me tell you something. There weren't a lot of happy campers there. This goes to show you, you can work really well together as a unit. But when you worried about finally you met this guy that you didn't think that would happen, but it fucking did. Okay. And. You got to go with the flow. That's the bottom line. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Well, if anything happened, everything went wrong. Bottom line is we just, they formulated a task force immediately, man. They were going for wiretaps. They're going for all this stuff. So they had surveillance units. They had everything. Uh, we're waiting now for Klinsky to get back to me or I'm going to call him. Well, as I'm in my car going, my pager goes off. It's him. So this is the I, second I, time he's paged you now at the meeting yeah. and then after the meeting? Yeah. I get 
I had a recorder on me, a little Nagra recorder. Mm -hmm. I go to a payphone. That's a payphone that Superman used to use. You go into this payphone. (laughs) So you go go to this phone booth. Wait a minute. Are you saying you're wearing tights underneath your outfit there? You got tights on there, Dom? Yeah, it says ATF, though, (laughs) on the shirt. So anyway, anyway, um, all being serious, I make a call. I hook up the wire and everything, and I call. And for whatever reason, to this day, I don't know. And I have these tapes recorded. And he says to me, I said, yeah. He says, listen, I tried calling you. I said, Rich, I've been busy. He says, listen, how's your end? So what do you mean? He says, can you talk? I said, yeah, I can talk. I said, what about your end? He says, I'm good. He says, um, go ahead. He says, you can get pure cyanide. Just like, tell us, just like that. Yeah, this is, I'm reiterating everything that took place when we first met. Now it's being recorded. He says, uh, I said, Rich, I said, you got to show good faith to me. I said, I can get the pure cyanide I, without a doubt. Okay. He says, uh, okay. He says, I'll be in touch with you. And when I get my item, I'll send it. We'll meet. And he says, uh, we'll discuss it. And I said, no problem. I said, you show good faith to me. You'll have your cyanide. We left off. Okay. Give them the tape. Okay. Reiterated everything that took place on the first meeting. Then. Hey, real quick before you get into October, quick question on that first meeting. How long did that first meeting take? After you call, you meet at the Dunkin' Donuts. How long is that meeting? Maybe 45 minutes. So in 45 minutes, you got the, you're saying you're about five minutes in and you go, I got this motherfucker. You know, so 45 minutes is all it took to get Kuklinski. Well, when somebody says to me, you're right, you're fucking A, whatever it was, he felt comfortable enough, you know, and I'm, I'm reading, I'm getting that body language, you know what I'm saying? When you're doing this a lot, and I said, I don't know, I just feel something. I said, this fucking guy, you know, and don't forget, he killed, he killed, he killed his chemist. He needs me to get that fucking cyanide. You just can't go get pure cyanide at a, at a hardware store. This isn't rat poison. This is a chemical that is made. It's pure cyanide. It's controlled, yeah. And so he's he's quickly then blown past this whole issue of whether or not I can trust you because you get it's like a it's like a junkie. You got something he needs. Well, not trusting me, he couldn't trust his source. And I said, "Fuck yeah. you! I wouldn't deal with somebody I don't trust." Wow. So that that was in my favor. So I just said, you know, this is the way it is. And then uh, October comes, he pages, yeah, he, he pages me, I call him, he says, can we meet tomorrow? It was like a, I don't know what day it was, during a week. He says, uh, I got your uh, item. It's okay. Now he says, how about the Vince Lombardi service station? I said, off the turnpike? He goes, yeah, said, yeah, no problem. Perfect. I couldn't have set this up myself. Vince Lombardi service station, transient, gas, little restaurants, right? People come and go. You can put surveillance people in there. You can put female agents. You can cover this thing greatly. Now, if he would have said some other place that I wasn't happy with, I would have declined it. Now, we got to pick some other place that I feel comfortable. But since he picked the Lombardi service station, 
Everything that he said, I've agreed to. So he says, come to the Vince Lombardi Service. No problem. We'll go to Vince Lombardi Service Station. So we meet. It's under surveillance. I pull up, and I'm by these phone booths, and he pulls up next to me. He's got the Camaro. He opens up the trunk. And prior to this in the conversation, he wanted $1,100 for the hit kit. So I said, no problem. I had $1,100 on me. What's a hit kit? It's assassination. It's a silencer fixed to a, this one's uh, is fixed to a 22 high standard, uh, 22 caliber weapon, uh, fixed with a 22 caliber silencer that fits the barrel. Got it. And when you shoot it, you're not equating it with a firearm. It sounds like a bus may be backfiring, if that. So he pulls up next to me, opens the trunk, and there it is, the weapon. He gets it. He wipes it down again, cleans it and everything, puts it in the bag. He says, you're going <laughs> to like this. I said, thank you. You know, being polite. I said, okay, $1,100. I counted out his $1,100. He grabs it. He goes to put it in his pocket. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to think I fucking shortchanged you. Count it. He says, no, no, no. I said, count it. Right. Takes the fucking one hundred. dollars You weren't concerned about making sure he trusted you. You just wanted evidence on the guy. Here's $1,100. That's right. So he counts it out. There's $1,100. He says, you can get the pure cyanide. No problem. He goes, he leaves. He just made $1,100. He's on his way. Now, I'm bouncing all over the fucking place. Then I meet Paul Smith, one of the attorney general investigators. Uh, I give him the tape and the weapon. I take off. They go check it out. And we got a good tape on him selling me the gun and talking about the pure cyanide. What happens is then we take the silencer and we send it to headquarters and they do a ballistic check on it. And also the silencer was nice and quiet. It reduced the decimal points uh, phenomenally and you wouldn't equate it with a gunshot, you know. So um, in fact, it was a silencer, no manufacturer, no serial number. Uh, and in federal, he would have been facing, you know, sale of the firearm, which would have been five years. I think uh, 10 for manufacturing, 10 for possession, and 10 for selling. He was spent 35 years already for federal violation. But this was one, this was going to be turned over for the state. So, uh, Dom, real quick, too, this is like 30 days afterwards. Now, did you also have a discussion, though, about using the cyanide to whack somebody else? Was Were you, were you trying to lure him in with something about a, a rich Jewish kid? That's at the end. That's at the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they take the weapon. I get the weapon. Then later we bring it to headquarters, get that all taken care of and everything's falling into place. Now he calls. He was always the initiator. Once in a while I would call, but he was mostly the initiator. He said, Dom, why don't we meet at the Vince Lombardi service station? So we met at the Vince Lombardi service station. I mean, several times. Okay, as we meeting there, I said, we're talking about how to murder people. I said, Rich, I don't, I don't get this. I said, I kill people with fucking guns. You know? What is this here with the cyanide? What, what, what do you do? He says, listen, my friend, 
he says, it's nice and easy. You give him a boost. He used to call it a boost. You squirt, you know, the boost from the spray, or you put it on food, and it looks like they died of a heart attack. He said, it works great. He says, but, he says, you got to remember this. If your client wants to make a sample, then you cut the tongue out, you stick it up to his rectum, or you put a bird in his mouth. There's ways that your client wants A lot of clients want it nice and easy. So the best thing is, is the pure cyanide. You give them a boost, and they go bye-bye. It's Jesus Christ, I said. I said, I don't know, man. I, I said, I like my way. We're talking about, you know, all this. And he says, yeah. And then we're talking about how he made the cops look like jerks. He says he dumped a body that was frozen for two years. He says, and they only thought he was dead for a year. I mean, uh, they only thought he was dead for a couple of weeks. That was Hoffman. And he went through each one, Hoffman and everybody, had the, where they killed, um, uh, who was it, Maliban and, and uh, Deppner. They, he used at the York Motel, he had two of his associates there, and he went and get hamburgers, and he told the other two when he when he gives this hamburger to Malabar, make sure you don't eat the ones with the pickles. That's with the boost. That's the cyanide on him. And they he comes back with McDonald's hamburgers, and he everybody takes a hamburger. He gives the other ones to his to Malabar there, and. Um, I believe it's Maliband that he does, yeah, Deppner at the motel, or, or Deppner, and um, they're sitting down there reading, and he says to me, he says, you know, Tommy, he's eating this fucking hamburger, he says, usually a couple of bites, you know, you're gone, he says, this fucking guy, you've got a constitution of a fucking bull, Richie says to me. <laughs> I said, we're laughing. I said, no shit. He goes, finally, his eyes roll back. He goes back, and now he's, like, getting convulsions and stuff, you know? And he goes, then we strangled him with the lamp cord. There were laceration marks on him that it wasn't made for public, you know, during the investigation. And they put him under the bed because it was a transit where prostitutes went and everything at the York Motel. And then they leave. And then they find the body. After the stench, it was the room was used a couple of times, and uh, they find the body under the mattress. So, all the circumstantial evidence regarding Maliban, um, you know, Smith, Masgay, Hoffman, from that circumstantial evidence that they had, I was able to get direct evidence on each case and how he did it and what he did it with and it tied the case into a prima facie case that was going to be adjudicated in the courts so we had enough of prima facie evidence uh and uh tied the case in perfectly yeah just to to expand on that just a little bit dom uh for our listeners just because you have a recording where a guy's confessing, that's not simply enough. You have to be able to co- corroborate some of the things he says, right? 
That's correct. And that, I mean, that just opened up the door for you guys. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Bobby Carroll and Paul Smith, like, sometimes we'd meet back after my, after I met with Kuklinski, we'd meet back at the plant. We called it the plant where they had the computers and other, other investigative uh, material. I'd go there. We had John, uh, Johnny Walker black bottles. And they Xerox Richie's picture on the bottle. We put Richie's picture on the bottle. I don't know how many fucking bottles we finished. <laughs> but true, till two, three in the morning. And then they were asking me. I said, I had no more fucking room. My fucking head hurts. I said, fuck. I said, I'm telling you. Every fucking day. I said, I fuck, I'm tired. I said, my fucking head hurts. So we'd go over each case. What took place. What they found. Get Richie to talk about that particular case, how we did it, you know, and I did, you know, and uh, the tapes spoke for themselves because when they had the trial and it was sequestered and it's too bad because if that trial was today, it'd be all over TV because it was unbelievable. The tapes was, like I said, we were sequestered and then they called me in and the courtrooms were fucking packed and sit down they play the tapes his wife and daughter and had a young child started screaming crying and ran out the tapes were devastating me telling the story is one thing me telling the story and hearing it backed hearing, up by richard's words right yeah. now you're going to hear richard tell me how he murdered people and man you should see how he i mean you're hearing from him like who the fuck is this guy you know, this ain't this ain't my husband. This is some this kind is of monster. Yeah. You hey, know, did you ever reach a point, though, Dom, where you thought this thing was going to go south? All this work you put into it. Did you reach a point to where you thought, hey, fuck, he, he's done with me. We we're not going to get anywhere. Did, did you ever hit a point like that? Or were you always confident this thing is going to happen no matter what? I, w I was confident, honest. Uh, during the investigation, Bobby Carroll, they were concerned, like they would listen to the tapes and they said, I don't like the way Richie sounds on this, Tom. I think we're afraid that he's going to try to kill you. I knew he was going to try to kill me. I had the fucking gun pointed at him anyway. You know, and, and, and also I said to the homicide squad in Bergen, I said, listen, if he pulls a spray out, I'm going to have to kill him. And they agreed. They're going to take over the homicide squad uh, scene anyway. And I, I said, I make no bones about it. He pulls out a spray. I'm killing this motherfucker. I'm telling you, I'm not playing with this guy. Well, plus that, orig and, that original meeting, he gave you the number that he gave to all his victims, right? Yeah, at the yeah, and that was the main number that he used at the house, and that's where the toll calls they were showing. Okay, but that doesn't mean they spoke to Richie. But when Richie gave me that number, and I'm calling that number, or he's calling me, and it's showing up on my pager, and um, you know, we put this thing together and. Uh, the tapes were, to me, were devastating. They agreed. And um, I don't know. I just got this canny way sometimes of getting material, extracting material from bad guys. I just can do that. Uh, you know, but if you go, you know, believe me, I mean, it's nothing easy where you go. Uh, it depends how the facts fall into place. You go meet a guy and you say, uh, hey, Steve, you're going to meet this guy Morgan and 
you know, when you stay in touch and you become friends, you find out how we murdered these people. You know, each one has a separate entity and separate case here. We've got to find out now the details. Because if you came to me or I came to Richie and say, hey, you know, how did you murder somebody, you know, who the fuck you? What do you ask that for? What are you asking that for? But Richie's the one who, ins I told him I'm a fucking hitman. I kill people. I said, what do you do? That opened the door for him. I'm not planting a seed for him. He's saying, oh, listen, my way's nice and easy, simple, boom. You know, use the pure cyanide. They go to sleep. So He's, he's, he's kind of bragging about the way he does it. He thinks he's come up, he he's come up with some uh, profound way that nobody else is using, and he wants to brag about it. And actually, Steve, you hit upon that. I'm, I'm working a cold case right now. And it, it took, they, when they do an autopsy, they do this normal screen. I think it's about 237 drugs. Well, as we found out with cyanide, cyanide was not one of the things you look for in autopsies back then. You had to specifically have something that says you got to look for cyanide. And then now you're looking at things like um, succinylcholine, um, um, rock uranium, things like that, pancuronium, things that are paralytics, where you've got to, I mean, you've got to really have this specialized equipment. So Kuklinski was kind of on the, he was a cutting edge in terms of mm -hmm. what he was using to kill people because nobody knew to look for cyanide back then, right, Don? Michael Baden then, uh, great. Oh yeah, forensic pathologist, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he wrote a book, Confessions of a medical examiner and he put this particular case in it and told me they didn't look for uh, for drugs back then poisons now they do because of this particular case and everything else because they didn't look for that back then so it opened up different different type of doors and everything else but the success of this case is not only with just ATF it's and the undercover this case really state police okay the attorney general guys criminal justice uh i mean these guys were fucking great they look you're seeing my end okay blah 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 yeah everybody gets glamorous it's this sometimes it's a pain in the fucking ass but that's the way it is that's my forte that's that's what i am that's how i'm good at what i'm good at that's me I'm good at my shit. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood. You know, maybe that's rubbed off on me <laughs> on certain ways, the demeanor and how to come across when to back off. I, I don't know. Maybe I should have been a bad guy. Uh, I no, mean, no, I, no. I think, I, think you're a good, right. I think you're a good bad guy. So, uh, hey, but but during the operation, I wanted to ask you, like I said, you're worried it's gone south. But at one point, I don't know if it was in the book or you told me, didn't you worry that you weren't getting contacted by him? You actually got to the point of where you started checking the batteries in your page or is this thing not working? I mean, you kind of went through a dry no, I, spell, I right? I didn't feel bad. Yeah, there was a dry spell, but that's with all investigations. I mean, if you look, you're not constantly dealing with this guy fucking on a daily or weekly a day. Um, he has things to do, and which is good. I'm doing other stuff. So he's doing his thing. They were concerned about the okay. investigation. We didn't hear from him a long time. Something's not right. He still needs the pure cyanide. He, he, it's, you know, I felt comfortable. They were concerned. You know, they were calling the shots when to take him down. They were calling the shots when, uh, say, hey, Dom, we got enough of uh, evidence here. We're taking this guy down. We're picking a date and we're taking him down. We're closing this case. We got the direct evidence on these cases and we got it. We don't have any more circumstantial loops anymore. We got it directly from him. We feel comfortable, and we're taking this guy off the streets. And uh, 
So tell about that, that meeting to where um, you actually, because at some point you got to produce something that looks like cyanide. I mean, you've got to, you just can't, you've delayed it long enough, right? So how do you go about preparing something to give to him that looks like cyanide? Well, state, uh, I believe the state police uh, chemist did it. it. It's a white crystal sort of, it smells like almonds, just like they said it would. And, uh, you know, he, they made a little bit, they put it in a uh, small little plastic container, and uh, that was it. They did a hell of a job. Uh, I think it was quinine. Please. Yes. Yep. And uh, it smelled just like it. Uh you know, you're not going to take a fucking taste and put it in your lip or anything like that. <laughs> you're only, yeah, well, only going to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they had it down. And then when I gave it to him, the scenario was, listen, we're going to pick a date. We're going to meet him at the Vincent Party service station. Bobby Carroll comes up with a plan. We're going to get Paul Smith, one of the uh, criminal justice investigators, as the rich kid. And he's been buying cocaine for me. He always comes with cash. We can split the cash. Okay, he'll come with eighty thousand. We'll split. We'll get forty thousand each. You know, and uh, I'll give you the cyanide. He said, "Don't worry about it. I'll take care of the rest. I got the tape and everything. We'll use the barrel." He pointed to a barrel by the Vince Lombardi service station that was used where other victims were um, were found. It was one of them big. Garbage, uh, 55 gallon cans. drum size or something. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, hey, this was, this was your them. second chance to kill Paul Smith, right? He, you had another op where you could have taken him out. Wasn't that part of your initial discussion with him is like, I could have killed you the first time. I told him every day. I told him every time I talked to him when he calls us, listen, you're still fucking alive. I said, you should be dead. <laughs> I still got the contract. That's not voided out yet. I tell him that all the time. In you case know. you forgot who Paul Smith is, he's a cop who <laughs> had a contract put on him he, by the mob. Yeah. And um, all the agencies involved, there wasn't just one person, okay? Believe me when I tell you, there was so much work, man, when they did the wiretaps, the surveillances for other people that he completed down in South Jersey with other people that were hooked up. There was so much involved with this once it got started, okay? My thing was, I go meet Richie, but I'm giving the tape, you know, I'm on my, I'm off. I'm, I'm on my way. Uh, great camaraderie uh, we had, uh, and uh, some of the state uh, police superiors were just fucking great working with. They, they were just funny. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, a great organization, the, the attorney generals of criminal justice and the prosecutor's office of Bergen, outstanding. Out fucking standing. Yep. I wouldn't hesitate doing it again for them. They, that's how good they were. You know, I just had one incident and... Uh, After that, it's all good. That's so it. walk us through. This thing's coming to a yeah. close because like Paul now is going to be the rich Jewish kid. You're going to rip for the money. And that was, but that was also uh, Richie's MO too because... He, it was like at that. That's the point. Is that the point where you knew not only was he gonna was he gonna take the money that he thought was coming in from your 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 uh, target? He was also going to kill you and take the other forty thousand. Right? Is this the time where you thought if he's going to kill me, now's the time? Yeah, but we were, he was surrounded by you know. I mean, oh yeah. And plus, it was quinine. But what I'm saying, but that's 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 where you felt like, hey, if it's going to happen, if he really had cyanide, this yeah. would be it. 
the bottom line, he picked the Vince Lombardi service station. But we had the Vince Lombardi service station covered from soup to nuts. They had his residence covered from soup to nuts. We had two locations. You know, no way to go. Okay? So we make the date to meet him. At Which is December 17th, 1986. December 17th. That's right. 8.45 in the morning. Meet him at the Vincent party. He pulls up, opens up the trunk of his car. I give him the, the pure cyanide he believes. He puts it in the trunk of his car. He says uh, he had in there, he had tape and rubber gloves. He says, I'll be back. My wife is sick and uh, we'll take care of business. I said, okay. At this juncture, it didn't matter whether we took him off really at the Vincent Lombardi or his residence. I'm wearing a wire and tape. I mean, a uh, Kel where they can hear from outside. They can monitor it and also a recording device. So they were hearing what the conversation was. So they could have took him down there. They decided then he leaves. They had him go right to the residence. And I, you know, they knew what would happen at the Vince Lombardi. I gave him the uh, alleged cyanide. And uh, we were going to kill the rich kid and split the money. And I gave him three egg sandwiches that when we do meet, he was going to put one cyanide on one of them and give them to the rich kid. So what had happened is they then take him down at the residence. His wife is in the car. They surrounded the car. They believe if his wife wasn't in the car, there would have been a shooting because there was, I believe, a nine millimeter under the seat by his wife. And he didn't stop right away either, did he? This is not like you just show up. Did he try and get away at that point, too, by driving around a cruiser? He tried, but nowhere to go. He stopped, they believe, because the wife was there. They had all guns pointed at him. And they finally get him down on the ground. They removed the firearm from the seat from by the wife and they couldn't get the cuffs on him that's how massive of a man he was they had to get two sets of handcuffs uh i think they used leg irons to put on his wrists uh <laughs> i've done that before too you get those fellers that are so big you got to have three or four sets of leg irons because none of those cuffs go around their wrists so they had i think a set or two sets on the legs and one on a one on the arm, they finally get him inside. They take me to the rotunda by the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office and by the jail. There's the old-fashioned jail in Bergen County there, and there's a steel door between it. They get Richie inside. He doesn't see me. And his wife says, Richie, Richie, they're hurting me. Well, he grabbed a couple of troopers. He was throwing them around like, like nothing, but maybe 10 seconds because he's not in shape. They finally get him down. They cuff him. And they get the wife, and they separate them. And then uh, later on, he's arraigned in uh, in court. And then it's funny that that they after it's over, um, they're going to do the arraignment, and I'm with uh, my bosses now are there at the prosecutor's office with the chief of detectives at Bergen County, and they said, uh, they get a call, and it says, um, Judge, Superior Court Judge Chialino wants to see you upstairs. It says, see me? 
He says, yeah. We all go upstairs. We go into his chambers. He goes, hey, close the door. <laughs> they close the door, and he goes, sit down. He goes, are you fucking crazy? What the fuck? He goes, this guy is unbelievable. He says, you, you mean the judge is telling you this yeah. about Kuklinski? Yeah, he goes, this is unfucking. <laughs> this is like, he's not crazy, but he says, this is unbelievable. You know? He goes, listen, great job, you know, and I wish you the best. I said, thank you, judge. Appreciate it. And then, uh, Murph, have you ever been pulled into a judge's chambers and been told anything like that? I've, I've, I, I've been pulled up to a judge during a recess uh, when I transferred out of North Carolina to Atlanta and had to go back for trial. And, and uh, but nothing like that. It's like, hey, Agent Murphy, it's glad to see, we're glad to see you back in the courtroom here. You know, the cases haven't been the same. Blah blah blah. Nothing like what Dom went through, man. <laughs> so but basically, the, the judge is going, "Are you fucking nuts? What yeah, are you doing with yeah. this guy?" <laughs> He says, man, are you, he was great, Judge Schiller. <laughs> and then we find out he assigned it to Judge Kukemeister. Judge Kukemeister was known as the time machine. If he tells you to plead, plead. Because if you find guilt, if he finds you guilty in his courtroom, bam, he, they pipe you daylight. <laughs> yeah. You know? Hey, well, well, so when's the first time? When did when did when's the first time you met Kuklinski after the arrest? Because you were not there. They kept you away. They kept you away from the actual arrest, right? Yeah. The next time I meet Kuklinski is when I testify on the first two trials. So you hadn't met him. No, uh, you didn't. No interviews. No nothing with him. No, they said. Right? Listen, he he wanted to know if, <laughs> what they tell me. He he's willing to wear a wire with you out on the streets. I said, Get the fuck out. <laughs> he still thought you were a bad guy. No, no, he knew I was a cop then. Oh, so he said. I said I don't even want to talk to him. I, I had no use for him. I don't I don't want to talk to him. I said this guy deserves what he what he had to do because there was some of the family there that were really taken from what, what took place and what he did to these people. And later on in life, I give a talk at Rockland Community College and, oh, Sussex County Community College I'm at. And they publicized it. And I didn't know in the audience. Afterwards, the family comes up and says, do you know who we are? I said, no. He says, I'm so-and-so's wife, and this is our daughter, and this is so-and-so. He says, um, Thanks a lot. He says, but our lives are never the same. He tortured us. We knew he was going to kill our husbands. And uh, my little girl is, doesn't have a father. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I mean, this guy put havoc on people. And payback was a bitch. Hey, and, and Dom, going forward from that, you actually, so you said the first time you saw him was in trial. It's kind of unique. Describe your meeting with uh, the Iceman, Kuklinski, as you walk into court. I walk into court. This is the first time I'm testifying and because it was sequestered. And I walk in, and when I get up on the stand, he's looking at me, and I, I just looked at him. And as I'm testifying, I looked at the jury. They were explaining what I was doing and everything. And then I looked back at him. He was looking at me, but I think he knew he was doomed. He, he, it wasn't that, listen, if he had his chance, he would he would love to put his arms around and my neck and kill me, but he was just looking like, 
you fucking got me, like, you know, the feeling I got. So that was it. I testify, and tapes spoke for themselves with his mouth and his conversation. In addition to that, they call me back that he's going to plead guilty to the other cases. And I wind up going back into court a couple of months later. And as I'm sitting there, he walks in, and it's the first time he looks around and goes, Hey, Dominic, how you doing? And I said, Good, Rich. And that was it. That was our last conversation. And so he was convicted of how many murders? He was convicted of the four murders. The fifth one, they didn't, I mean, he was doing two life terms. Uh, you know, sometimes I can understand foreclosure and stuff, but uh, but he was facing uh, two life terms. I, I think he was eligible for parole if he was 160, something like that. We come up with this number of 100 or 100 more. How did they arrive at that number? I mean, you know, because at some point, he appeared to be one of the most prolific hitmen for the mob. And he worked across, uh, did, did he work just exclusively for one family or did he work across several families? To the best of my knowledge, he might have worked for several families, but he did work for the DeMeo a little bit. That was the Gemini Lounge. DeMeo was, had his own crew. They believed DeMeo on his, on his own killed 64 people, you know, on his own. And they had this place called the Gemini Lounge where they would, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the Summer yeah. Sopranos, where they'd chop up the bodies in the bathtub and bag them and get rid of them. And that's what they did at the Gemini Lounge. And the mayor was, his crew was brutal. He was brutal. And, um, but I, I, I believe, I believe in my heart he didn't kill 100 people. Now look. I know he killed five. That I know of, okay? If you want to add another five, I'd go along with that, okay, that we're not sure. Because he used to play games all the time with us with names and stuff. But I'm sticking to the five that he did murder. There may be several more. But when HBO did the first document documenter, documentary for for the undercover, that was the first ever, that blew the ratings out of the water. I mean, they were unbelievable. He became a yeah, star. Yeah, it was called Conversations with the Killer, and he had, that's where he admitted, I watched all three of those documentaries. No, he goes, look, he, the first one is the, just the undercover operation. There were okay. two, two other ones, one with, like like what you said, and then a, then a psychiatrist is the last one. Park Deets, yeah. And the first one, we, we talked about how we, we did the undercover operation. And when we saw the private showing and we went, they took us to a private room and then they took me to the to their offices in HBO in New York. They have billboards and pictures of Kuklinski like a fucking star, like Errol yeah. Flynn. I'm like saying, a hero. I'm saying, what the hell? I'm telling you, every time they did something with this guy, the ratings went through the roof. That's why you see a mobsters. Um on these other channels with different titles and different names. People call me up, you're on this show, you're on this. I said, what the fuck, is, what is it? You know, there's so many different programs and documentaries that they added on with this guy. Uh, look, they did stuff overseas in Europe. They came and uh, that's big overseas. They think this guy is, you know, great. 
And uh, there were a couple of friends of mine called me. And I don't know if you saw this on the internet. You know, they did a song on Kuklinski. It's a macabre song. Uh, and um, they did it. There's now another one they called me. I haven't seen it. They made a rap song out of one of the tape conversations. Uh, they were telling. I haven't. I haven't. Every time I uh, somebody says it, I, I can't find all that stuff. You know? And Dom, this sounds suspiciously Murph, and I think you know where I'm going with this. This is one of the reasons why you didn't want to do Narcos the first couple times is because people wanted to glamorize Pablo instead of telling him exactly what he was, which is a fucking cold, heartless, narco-terrorist killer. That's right. We, we, Dom, I don't, you don't know this, but we went into the uh, agreement with Netflix to do the Narcos series with the understanding that they would not glamorize Pablo Escobar. That was the one. I call it demand, suggestion, whatever you want, but that was, that was our point. Yeah, right. And they've lived up to it. Yeah. We had Dave Reichert of Green River Killer Case. That was the exact same thing. There was a documentary I watched. He was not involved in it. And he says, I declined it because they were making it too much about Gary Ridgway and not anything about the victims. Well, that's what they did, too. With One was the movie. And um, the other one, um, they they glamorized Richie. Uh, there's, there was one that I did see that they thought that I should have been killed by Kuklinski, that I was the rat and that he was the good guy. He has a following, uh, like a cult, that it's unbelievable what they, you know, think this guy is. Was that the wedding you were at where some young girl comes up and says you ruined her life because her friend was Kuklinski's daughter? That, that that's another thing. I was something else. I was at a wedding and yeah, she come up to me. She goes, you know, you ruined the family. You, I said, what family? I don't even know this person. You know, she goes, Richard Kuklinski. I know his daughters. You ruined the family. I said, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Yeah. You know, we get messages almost daily, not every day, but almost daily through our social media sites, our website, uh, whatever it might be. Just, I mean, they talk about things they they want to do to my mother, to my wife. You know, I yeah. Well, you got an Instagram this morning, Steve. You're a popular guy. Oh yeah, I just and this one was just a one word message. Puta, calling me a bitch in Spanish. You know, it's just it's amazing that these are stone yeah. cold killers, mass murderers, and people yeah. think they're some kind of heroes. True. And this is one of the reasons why, and stuff yeah. like this. I mean, we we mentioned the names, but this is why the episodes are about like you. About like when I when I had the chance, we did a whole twelve part series with Stephen uh, Javier. You know, it's about them. It's not about it's not about Kuklinski. It's about what Kuklinski did, but it's it's what right. the people did to bring down somebody like him. And I just think we've glorified too much. And, and you want you want to know why people go out and they they are heartless about killing. I remember the first time I got stopped just speed. I was drag racing actually. First time I got stopped <laughs> by the cops, I peed my pants. I'm a sixteen year old peeing my pants because I'm getting stopped by the cops. And now you've got two 17-year-olds in Washington, D.C. over here tase an Uber driver and kill this guy. How heartless have we fucking become? Well, I got, I got to tell you, you should have never told me that story there, Mr. Depends, because you're going to hear about peeing your pants as a 16-year-old for quite some time. Well, I just made it up to make <laughs> you feel good, Murph. You know? Well, the, you know, this whole thing, like, the tapes spoke for themselves. They were so prejudicial, they had to redact these tapes yep. because... There's stuff on those tapes about, it's unbelievable. I mean, like, unbelievable. It's the details and stuff about how he did it, too. He just, 
You know what I was, uh, and I've done, I used to teach interview and interrogation behavior analysis. I taught out at the NSA. I mean, you're talking to people who dealt with spies and stuff. And, I, and I've interviewed, uh, uh, you know, uh, people involved in homicides before, you know, and killers. But when I'm sitting here watching this tape, I got to tell you, my pucker factor went up. Even if he didn't kill 100 people, I'm sitting here looking at this guy, and he's enjoying it. Mm-hmm. When you ask him, did you feel anything? He goes, I felt nothing. Didn't mean anything to me. That's just cold heart. The, and the perversion, the, the perverse things that they do to the bodies is just unbelievable. Well, his daughters wrote up, one of them wrote up, uh, might have the article I saved, finally admitted that they were deathly afraid of him. I mean, how many times he beat his wife up and oh. all kinds of things. He was brutal. Nice stand-up guy. He was brutal. Yeah, yeah. You know, but payback's a bitch. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of payback's a bitch, in 2006, mm-hmm. um, the word is is that um, he is supposed to testify against Sammy the Bull Gravano, yeah. you know, in a mob trial, and he dies in prison. Have have Has anything ever been really figured out about... Was that a hit? Was that a contract? Or did he just vapor lock finally in 2006? And you're talking about Rich Dodd, right? Richie. Yeah. Yeah, Richie. Richie From Kuklinski. What I gather um, that they never proved one way or the other. And I don't know if they really wanted to. I don't know. But they never came up with anything. Uh, whether it was poor. Well, the only thing I was able to find on the research, it said it, he died of a rare illness called Kawasaki disease that only is supposed to affect Japanese children, but it also mimics mercury poisoning, which is another way to, you know, between cyanide and mercury. You know, uh, I don't know if it's poetic justice, yeah. but if it was, I think you it's know, great. Um, what a payback. I, I like it. Yeah. I, I, so, Saves the taxpayers a lot of money. Room temperature is good yeah. for this guy at this point. Yeah. But, but the thing with Sammy the Bull and... Um, like they came up with this cop Calabra that was dirty, and he's he he was married to a, a woman from New York, and apparently the father was connected, and they believe he killed the wife, and payback was going to get you know to Kuklinski, and they they said. Uh, that uh, Kuklinski stating that, you know, Sammy the Bull supplied him with the sawed-off shotgun and he was waiting on a snowy day and everything. I don't believe that. I had a lot of conversations with him regarding a lot of different things and don't believe it was Kuklinski that did well, it. So let, let's kind of figure out, you know, so that, that, I mean, obviously that's something, it's like one of those things that fascinates people. Sometimes the legend becomes bigger yeah. than the actual deeds. And so his legend has grown over time, but... Um, you know, that was a huge case, but you know, once you retired, I mean, you went on to become, uh, you spent 15 years undercover, right? How do you, you know, what kind of impact did that have on your family? I mean, you're gone, you're living the life all the time. What kind of impact did it have? And again, how did you keep that bright line between approaching the line and crossing the line? Look, believe it or not, Kuklinski lived only 10 miles from me in Jersey. That was a concern. And I had, you know, my wife and two children, uh, three children, sorry, uh, three children, you know, my son. Wait, you just forgot how many kids you <laughs> yeah, had, Don? man. Oh, which one is, okay, which one of the kids don't you like? <laughs> well, good family, you know, I have grandkids now, and, and uh, but at that time, you know, my wife passed because she had cancer. It was a rough, it was a rough time. And um, just threw everything out of whack. And, you know, 
terrible, terrible. And uh, just, you know, trying to get back on track. And uh, so I have, you know, my daughter Carrie, Drew, and Matthew, and uh, all are doing well. And um, it was tough. It was tough, but he lived 10 miles from me, and we were concerned a little bit about that. But then I was doing stuff with from uh, I was working a case where I was buying silences at uh, Hiram's in a uh, hot dog place in Fort Lee. And I was meeting some bad guys, and uh, I meet this guy, Tommy Guerrero, hooked up with the mob in, in Rhode Island, and he, with my partner, Alex, and uh, we're buying machine guns. So we go to Logan's Airport, and uh, I buy a machine gun there. And it used to be called the War Zone area in Boston, and now it's beautiful. And Tommy was hooked up uh, with some heavy people, and we had him fly to New York. He flew to New York with the plastic explosives and the <laughs> on the plane and everything. <laughs> Holy cow! Wait a minute, him. he flew on the plane yeah, with them? Yeah, back then they didn't care. If people don't know what they're looking for, I had a pizza guy in uh, on Anderson Avenue in Hackensack was selling me guns like crazy, and he's going to sell me plastic explosives. Now you know how pizza dough is that grayish. Plastic explosives. Plastic yeah. is the same color. He had the plastic uh, explosives <laughs> right next to the pizza dough. You couldn't wow. tell the difference unless you put a cap in it. Well, if you're buying if you're buying silencers at Hiram's, were they disguised as hot dogs? I tell you, could have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was just I I don't know. I did a lot of different purchases. Got a lot of stuff on consignment. Um, Ran a great task force. Hey, so so looking back over your career, what what's the you know we've talked about Kuklinski, so I don't want to use that as just the only focal point. But when you look back and you say, if there's one thing you look back on with a really great source of pride, and you say, I'm really glad I was involved in this. That would have been the when they assigned me to work the Aces cases, and that was the Armed Criminal Enforcement Study in Washington D.C. That's the one I was telling you. Look under city under siege if they still. That we were rocking and rolling. Oh man, that was we were rocking and rolling. My particular squad was doing three high risk search warrants a day, a day. Yeah, we were unbelievable. We had we deputized the Metropolitan Police Department. It, it was a lot of fun. And that's where you really, when you make the arrest, you take people off the street. You know, you're saving lives yeah. because these these people aren't out there to kill again. Yeah, yeah, it was it was something else. I enjoyed that. I mean, I, I you know, I flew to Florida, you know, as a wise guy, the Miami office called me, I went to Florida, I'm meeting these Colombians, I'm dealing in cocaine, they're doing kilos, uh, machine guns, uh, Jesus Christ, everything. And they wanted me to go to Santa Domingo, meet a general. I said, fuck, I'm not going, to, not going there to meet this general. You know, have him come here. Then I did a 10,000 machine gun dry conspiracy that they were going to deliver to me in Puerto Rico with the end user certificates that you got to pay. Well, we took these people down, you know, you know, so it's really, there's a lot of bad people out in the world, unfortunately. Yeah. You know what, Dom, I did a little bit of narco, a little bit undercover with DEA, nothing, 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 not even close to what you did. 
I think you're crazy. <laughs> you're fucking <right>? nuts. <laughs> yeah. But thank God. Thank, thank God you. we got people like you that got the stones to go oh, do this kind of stuff. Because, you know, only certain people can do this. You know, it's... I, why it came easy for me, because where I grew up, that it was an Italian neighborhood, I don't know. It just came easy, everything yeah. regarding that. Well, you, you grew up in that culture. You underst- You kind of understood, yeah. you know, the background, what's required, how you treat those people. You know, and the, I mean, that ultimate thing is respect. You knew about that. Not only that, my partner, Alex Diatri, I told you, great undercover, uh, great undercover. And uh, he was lives in Brooklyn and we hung out. We did so many cases. Uh, his double is Al Pacino um, to the to the T. And we'd be driving late at night. We'd get stopped so many times by cops. You guys are caught. You guys are what? <laughs> you know, we had Cadillacs, vets. We had, oh man, Mark Fours. <laughs> you know, Lincolns. But great, yeah. I got I, I got pulled over by a Georgia trooper one time in Atlanta for speeding, and 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 yes, I was doing it. And I was driving, I don't know, it was a seizure from a dope dealer, so it was this nice, big four-wheel drive, uh, yeah. was it Toyota Land Rover? Yeah. Land Rover, is that what it was? And a, and a police officer comes up, and he says, uh, driver's license registration. I said, uh, listen, Troop, I've got a, uh, I'm a, I'm a police officer, i got weapons in the car. He's like, oh, show me your ID, and I showed him my DEA badge. He said, only the feds <laughs> can drive cars like this. Get out of here. <laughs> I will tell you that, too. When I was a trooper, I stopped a car one time. It's like a... Back then, this is like 1985, it's a $100,000 car, and it's the FBI, this guy's driving, and he's going out to meet with the (laughs) FBI agent out where we were at, and it's like, how the hell do I get a car like this? I'm driving a 1984 Plymouth Grand Fury (laughs) with a 318 in it. (laughs) Oh, talk about something so fast, you clock it with the calendar. But hey, Dom, look, man, this is great stories, but as with everything, everything comes to an end. And what we want to do before we leave here with you, what are you working on now? What can we help promote? What can we talk about? What are you working on now? Because they, they did books. They did movies. We're going to talk about the finish up the movie in a second. But what are you working on now? What can we expect to see from... Uh, by the way, uh, Steve, his name is Dominic Polifrone. I was listening to some podcast episodes. One of the guys was so intimidated, they referred to him as Dominic Provolone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he's probably a good old Southern boy. He was doing the best he oh, could. Oh, no, no. He was he was on a podcast with a guy who was obviously, you know, he's pretty close around. to being a wise guy. Yeah, Joey, Joey Diaz. Yeah. Joey's yeah. been arrested. You hear him going, I didn't tell him fucking nothing. I got arrested before, too. And I'm going, Joey okay, Diaz. this guy's been there. Yeah. Joey Diaz. Yeah. So what are you working on? Well, a couple of more podcasts, and I'm working with uh, Federico Castellucci, uh, one of the soprano players, and uh, we've been meeting, and hopefully uh, things pan out uh, more on my end and stories regarding other cases and my take on the Kuklinski looking forward uh, yeah. and how this thing really started with the aggravation and trying to get it started and working it, and uh, we've been meeting several times, so... Uh, and he's a great individual. He's doing great projects, and he's so down to earth. He's really hey, great. I up. want to know from him. Next time you talk with him, ask him because I remember watching the final episode, and and they're trying to figure out the right music for it. But does Tony? 
you, everybody's got the biggest discussion is they close it off. Does Tony get whacked or not? Yeah, I know. They were in the diner there. A yeah. Restaurant. Yep. I'll ask them. Yeah. yeah I'd ask them. Ask him, yeah. ask him. Hey, I, w- I actually did a radio uh, show one time with uh, David Webb and the guy who used to play Johnny Sachs, you know, and Johnny. Yep. D- yeah. And I'm going He's like, He's from hey. here. He's from uh, Bergen County. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. so, and I actually ran into Polly Walnuts down at a cop. We were at a cop convention oh, in yeah. Orlando. Polly is half drunk sitting in a restaurant outside um, <laughs> in uh, the gas lamp district there in San Diego. We're all saying, ah! <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was connected or not, but all I knew is I'd seen enough people die on The Sopranos. Like I'm not going to take a chance. So I think I think he did prison time. I think some of these guys. Yeah, I think I have he to did. take a look. Well, hey, let's 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 do this. Last thing I wanted to ask you about the movie with Ray Liotta. You were talking about because uh, he played Roy DeMeo. Yeah, and uh, you had Captain America as the guy, <laughs> the Cyan guy, got whacked. What did you? So I want to ask you two things about the movie. And Steve and I have what we call the patented narcometer. We rated it on a scale of 1 to 10 kilos. So there's two things I'm going to ask you. Number one, did you like the movie? So that's on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 means you hated it. 10 means you loved it. And then I want to ask you about the accuracy. So let's go to the patented narcometer. Mm. On a scale of 1 to 10 kilos, did you watch the movie? Well, first of all, did you watch the movie? I watched the movie. Let me tell you something about the movie. Prior to it being, they went and had critics view it first. So I get a call from one of the critics and said, I'm going to take you with me, uh, wear a baseball cap and sunglasses, and you're going to sit down as a reporter. I said, okay, but you say nothing. I said, okay. They picked me up. I go and just keep quiet. Now it's a homegrown paper, okay, from Hackensack I'm with. And I sit there. I go in. There's all these critics and stuff, and we go through the movie. And they finish, and Ariel's there, the uh, producer and stuff. And um, any questions? I said, yeah. Why wasn't more of the undercover approach, like the cat and mouse, how they were playing each other in this? It's just one-sided, and it's... Weren't you supposed to be quiet? I'm not talking. They are. Oh, they are. Oh. One of the other critics said that and said, where is the undercover here? Just the one thing at the end who called, you know, he was... Uh, who played me, uh, called me several times, but Ariel says, no, this is the way I want it. Uh, Scale of one to 10, did you like it? Uh, 10 is you loved it, one you hated it. Where were you at on just liking the movie? Uh, three. Three, oh, wow, that's on the low end. So on ac- in terms of accuracy, scale of one to 10 kilos, one is not accurate at all, 10 is they nailed it. Where are you at on the accuracy part? Three. That's, that's about right, you know? Well, it's like this, my partner Javier, we like to say, Hollywood never lets the facts get in the way of a good story, do they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they. Uh, you're right. I mean, you know, uh, there was a lot of, yeah, they had to make it entertaining. I understand that to, to blossom it, but I think they could have had more accuracy in there with, with a lot of other things that happened. Well, because you, you kind of looked like an afterthought at the end. It's kind of like, oh, by the way, we got to make an arrest, so let's introduce. And you look, you did the case in, you know, four, 14 minutes. That was great work, man. <laughs> From beginning to end, it took 14 yeah. fucking that's minutes. People got to realize, if you look at that movie, no, that's just not one tape conversation I have with him and they go arrest him. Right. I mean, this took years, months hanging with these bad guys. You know, anything could have happened. Last thing is, in the book, and he talked about it, you were the bastard as we started off this episode of the ballistic fuck. How did that come about? I think, was that that meeting where they were telling you, hey, you pull back, we're going to insert somebody in? Or where did that first time come out to where they say, I don't think we want to mess with Dominic? 
my first meeting with Kukunski afterwards, that's when all hell broke loose. I made the call and I said, I met him. And then they said, I mean, they must have dropped everything because all the suits and everybody, that meeting, like around three o'clock, man, it was mandatory. Everybody and their brother was there. You know, all the bosses and getting it, you know, we're starting the task force now. We're getting this and that. And Bobby Carroll, though, put it together and did some job. And so you, you through expressing your opinion, that's where the F-bomb kept coming out. Is that right? Yeah, a few times. <laughs> <laughs> As we told you, warning, this episode may contain liberal use of the word fuck. I think if I took that out of my conversation, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> oh, and that and using your hands and everything yeah. else. <laughs> we don't want to kill you off. Wait, Dom, well, dude, uh, as Steve said, man, you got to have a big set of stones to do stuff like that. I just looked at that guy and I go, he, he's got, just even on the tape where I know he's in prison, it scared the shit out of me thinking that you're sitting across from this guy. So it, this, you can't see me. This is my salute. Nobody can see this on the podcast, but this is me saluting you, sir. Fucking A, you're the type of guy that if you show up to a conference, you're never going to buy another drink, just like Murph and uh, Javier for the work you guys did. You hang around us. I'll make Steve buy, but uh, you'll never buy a drink. Uh, just let me say, I just want to say thank you for your service, Dom. It's, it's phenomenal what you did. It's, un, it's yep. unprecedented. Uh, God bless you, brother. Glad you're still with us. Well, appreciate it, but put my pants on every day just like everybody else. So let's keep that fact is straight. Do you put the zipper in front, though, or in back? You know, sometimes it's in the back. I don't know why, <laughs> but I got to ask you this. Go ahead. Hey, Murph and Wright, listen, this was great. I really enjoyed it. But you got to tell me, like, my friends are asking me, when is when are they doing this? Are you going to let me know when this is on? Well, no, fuck no. This is none of your business. Why do you have to ask? I'll tell you when it comes out. You know? Listen, you motherfucking <laughs> cocksucker. There you go. Now hey. we're coming out. Hey, hey, you got to tell me, what am I doing with this equipment here now? Oh, you look, dude, I don't know if you got COVID or, you know, whatever you got in that mouth. You keep it. I don't want it back. I can't, oh, I don't, man, I can't afford great. to, I can't afford to spend the money to decontaminate this. Effort. What a been... present I have. This is great. I love this. <laughs> Thank well, you, guys. I, I told you, man, it's quality stuff. We we take, wow. you, make, you talk to your other podcasts and say, are you motherfuckers sending me equipment? That's right. Or I can't am I have to do this. this on my own? Wow. This is professional. This is great. This is professional. Professional. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, well, it I, fell I, off I, the back of a truck, Dom. I mean, it didn't cost me much. You're so. We went down to the <laughs> store and it was on the shelf. I like it. One on a shelf. I said, I'll take two. He says, you're a player. <laughs> uh, I can't thank oh, man, you enough, is, buddy. This yeah, has been a, that's been a phenomenal. I hope you well. I hope you got what you want and enjoyed it. So we'll go from there. Well, we did. We got what we want. And the two Utes out back. You know, all I can think of is my cousin Vinny. When you start talking, man, yeah. the two Utes. I was an English major. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, you know? right. Hey, hopefully we'll get to meet you in person someday, brother. I'd yeah, love drinks. That. Drinks are on Steve. I'm buying. All there right, listen. Now, when I close this, just the normal way that I close it, right? Yeah. Hey, you're getting ahead of the game here. So I'm going to close out the podcast first. <laughs> Go ahead. What, go ahead. Uh, I mean, you know, this is going to be all worked out. It's going to have this fabulous ending. It's going to, hey, look, but look, we're going to close this off now. And don't worry, we will let you know when this podcast comes out. Okay. Steve, I have to tell you, I, I, I mean, I've never heard so many F bombs. And I was responsible for some of them, but I'm telling you, but 
is this not one of the most amazing? I mean, this is we've done a lot of stories already, and we've got a lot coming up. But this is one of the most amazing, just simply for the sheer audacity of him out there by himself working these big cases and bringing down all of the mafia. I mean, th- this guy. If you you look at the Sopranos, this guy lived the real Sopranos, the Lucchese, the Genovese, the Bonanos. You know, all of the major crime families. This guy was operating across all of them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we bring you heroes every week on our interviews, but here's, here's one bona fide, badass, tough guy, hero, who risked his life every freaking day trying to enforce the law, trying to protect all of us from the crime families and what's going on. So God bless you, Dom. That, we, you know, appreciate your service. Love your career. Thank you for taking the time to tell us your story. I'm not sure I understood every word you said, but I'll go back and listen to it on the podcast a few more times. I predict this episode will be huge. I'm telling you, this will be huge. <laughs> huge. It's now, is that a, with an H or a Y? Don't uh, you fucking understand English? It'll be an effing huge. <laughs> well, hey, guys, if you like that episode and if you want to keep helping us out, do it. Please, please, please. Just go to Apple Podcast. Hit that five stars. Let us know. We don't care. You know, um, Give us your thoughts. Give us some feedback. We, we don't care. We just want to hear from you. We want to hear anything you have to say about the show. Just go on over. Hit that five stars. Again, it's magic. It's Disney. You know, it's Walt Disney. It's Mickey Mouse all over again. It's just the magic. We just love it, too. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more info about the show. Again, we'll be constantly updating it as we, we will be adding merch here very shortly. And, uh, you know, maybe some live shows. You know, we'll let you know what's going on. Follow us on social media. We're easy to find. We're at Game of Crimes on Twitter. And on Facebook and on the Instagram, we are at Game of Crimes Podcast. We're putting some neat stuff out there too. PayPal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com. If you just want to throw us a little bit of love or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, again, whatever it makes it easier. But Steve, the big thing I'm excited about is just the continued, we're putting out a lot of content. We've had our first full month of Patreon. And we actually have some good stuff coming up, too, at the end of the month. So we've had bonus episodes. We've had just, like you say, neat stuff. Surprises. We throw out a random surprise where we talk about stuff. And we've got more of you and Javier coming up. We've got episode three coming up. Uh, We'll be dropping uh, September 1st for our folks on Patreon. I think that's going to be – that's awesome, too, because, you know, just continuing again to get inside the story. Yeah, we hope you enjoy that because it's – what we're putting on Patreon, especially these interviews with Javier and I – you know, this was hours and hours and hours. We have never, never, never gone into this much detail about things. Um, I'm surprised we had that much content, to be quite honest with you, but it just shows you a lot of the things that were going on out there. We're telling stories that <laughs> uh, some of them I've never heard before. I, you know, Javier surprised me every once in a while. We were doing a, uh, an interview yesterday on some stuff and, and uh, some of the stuff he was coming out with I'd never heard before. So, uh, I hope you like what you hear. You know, I joke around, bring a pillow with you. You might want to take a nap during the interview, but uh, oh no, a, you won't. That's a joke. That's a joke. So that's a joke. And by the way, we did find out. Steve wondered, where did you hear that from? You're going to have to listen to figure out which episode that was. He goes, how'd you find that out? Because my intelligence <laughs> network is long and distinguished. Trained criminal investigators. Yes, we are. That's what we are. TCIs. I don't know. I just made up that acronym. So hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned because we've got some good stuff coming up. The following week, you got to listen for what it's going to be. But like always, and we've got some, Steve, we've got some bona fide bad people coming up too. I mean, when I say bad, not... Um, former they, bad people. Former bad people, but money launderers. Um, we've got somebody that 
was working for the cartels for 25 years. Again, we're still working on uh, a couple ladies. And Steve, the other thing we're working on too, for, and for you folks out there, Steve and I talked about this, we're getting a lot of requests. People are very interested in the North Hollywood shootout. And so we can't promise anything. We both have contacts. We're working them, but we'd love to get somebody that was involved in that. So those are those are some of the neat things we're working on because why? Because you gave us feedback. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And and uh, I've got my feelers out. I put a message out yesterday and I I'm, I'm pretty positive we're going to get some back some uh good information so we will be able to bring that one to you in the future. But you know what? Uh Morgan, the one coming out next week, our podcast next week with your buddy. You want to tell a little bit about Dave? Yeah. This is going to be good. People have been asking for the Green River Killer. And this one this one, the episode, it's going to be a, definitely a two-parter. Uh, it's going to be a little longer because there was just so much content. So we're going to we're going to keep it pretty short on the intro and outro. Yeah. But folks, you are going to hear something you've never heard before, and this this is going inside the Green River Killer, the hunt for twenty years by Dave Reichert. Uh, to catch uh, that piece of crap, Gary Ridgeway, and he was eventually convicted, uh, pled guilty actually to 49, uh, killing 49 women. And the, these are the most vulnerable people of society. So l- let me leave it at that because I don't mm-hmm. want to steal Dave's thunder, but when you hear Dave's story about some of the work he did when he was on the road, how close he came to getting killed at one of these domestic calls, that is one of the most dangerous calls for yep. law enforcement to go to, you're going to appreciate the sacrifice that Dave made for his country, for his state, for his county, and for his family to track this guy down for 20 years. Yep. It's 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 moving. I had never heard the story. Uh, you know, and I don't want to tell any more because I don't want to take away from Dave's story next week. So let's give, all right, folks. So thank you for playing and being a player in the biggest game of all, the game of crimes. <laughs>